We'll hear argument first this morning, number 96-126, Walker Chandler versus Zell D. Miller, Governor of Georgia. Mr. Chandler. Mr. Chief Justice, and may it please the Court. In 1990, the state of Georgia adopted a law requiring drug testing of all members of the state government, state employees. Almost as an afterthought, it adopted a law requiring drug testing as a condition of uh, employment or candidacy for candidates for public office. The first of those laws was struck down in the lower courts. This law was brought forward before this court by me and my uh, co-plaintiff, who ran for office in 1994. Mr. Chandler, um, you say that uh, the petitioners ran for office in 94. And in the petition you brought here, uh, there's no assertion that any of the petitioners plan to run again in the future, is there? Not in the, as I recall, not in the actual pleadings in the lower court, no. however. So how would we have jurisdiction? Your Honor, uh, I believe that this case would not be moot because it would be uh, capable of repetition and yet evading. Well, people. how would it be if, you, if none of the petitioners plan to run again? Your Honor, I plan to run again. We but that was not stated That was not below. stated below. Uh, also, uh, Justice O'Connor, I, uh, my, candid my candidacy and the candidacy of all Libertarian Party members is premised on the concepts of limited government and freedom from unconstitutional searches and seizures, among all the other liberties reserved to the people by the Founding Fathers. And in that respect, I would think that OCGA 21-2-140 is violative of uh, the interests of all candidates, whether or not... Well, that's a merits argument, certainly, but uh, normally we would look to see if there's some uh, situation in a case like this of being capable of repetition and, and avoiding any review. And normally we would look to see some avowal that, yes, indeed, uh, these petitioners, or, or at least one of them, intends to run again. Yes, I understand that. And you didn't seek to bring this on behalf of a class of candidates? No, sir, Your Honor, I did not. Mr. Chandler, yes, I'm wondering why, if you want to raise this issue, you don't have to refuse to take the drug test, rather than go ahead and take it and get on the ballot and then challenge it later. Your Honor, we filed this action prior to uh, submitting to the test, prior to qualification by having this little piece of paper that certified us as being drug-free. We were the nominees of our party. We had an obligation to take forward the message of our party, the other messages of our party, in the electoral process. So we essentially had no choice but to submit, unwillingly perhaps, but to submit to this state-ordered search. When did you file the suit? Before the election or after the election? Before the election, Your Honor, in May of 19. So at that time, there's no doubt that the, that the case was not moved. Yes, sir. At that time, it was it was very much alive. Yes, sir. So the complaint is that you what, that you didn't amend your complaint uh, in order to assert uh, repetition after the election. I, we ever required that amending a, a complaint in a in a suit that originally was not moot, in order to uh, aver that the mootness has not occurred. I don't know, Justice. I don't. I don't recall we've ever required that. Anyway, as an officer of the court, you represent to us that you intend to run again and that this issue will arise again if the Georgia law stands. Yes, sir. Right? We search in vain the cases that this court has handed down which deal with suspicionless searches to find where any blanket search of this nature, this magnitude, and lacking any showing of any compelling state interest has been granted by the Suppose that a, a state agency said, in the interest of all of our employees, everyone once a year must take a physical exam. We don't want to know the results. All, all we want you to do is to say that you've gone to a doctor, any doctor you want, uh, for a physical examination. Is that a search? Yes, sir. I would think that would be a search. When, when, when does the search arise? When you go into the doctor's office? 
I would think so, Your Honor. Even though the results are disclosed only to you? I would think that it would be a search because if the result of that search is that you cannot, you can no longer serve in that agency, then the no, 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 the, the, the agency says we don't care what the what the medical exam discloses. We're just in the interest of our employees. We want you to be examined once a year. Well, I would think, Your Honor, that's with all due respect, that's not before the court. And it, it, but the well, I, there are a lot of things that are not before the court that are going to be before the court based on this opinion. And so we have to write an opinion that covers more than your particular case because we're interested in the general principle. Yes, sir. I would I'm asking that, why this is a search. I would think that it would be a search if, as a result of that search, uh, a person could lose employment. Well, that, that's not my hypothetical. All you, all you have to do is go to the doctor. You just certify that you've had a physical exam once a year at a doctor at your choice. The agency said we want to do this in the interest of our employees. And well, we can play with the hypothetical that yes. the agency pays for it or whatever. Why, why is that a search? I would think it would be a search under the uh, principles of, uh, that were announced in Schermberger, which drew a distinction between bodily searches. Is that, that is to say Schmerber? Schmerber? Well, there, there the, 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 uh, in, involuntarily a needle was, was inserted in, in the, in the, uh, with the patient uh, by a doctor who was not of his choice at a time uh, that was not of his choice. Uh, he, he had... Uh, he, he was he was there on the gurney in custody, but that's quite different, it seems to me, from just saying go to a doctor once a year. It may well be, Your Honor. It may right. well be. You 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 think require? I assume this physical exam requires a, a strip, it, right? Yes, sir. And you're saying that that's not a search, requiring you to go to somebody else and strip down and, and have that person examine your butt. I think it's what possibly could be a search if that's not a search. Yes, sir. I mean, you might want to argue about whether it's an unreasonable search, but you don't have any doubt it's a search, do you? No, sir. Mr. Chandler, would you have any problem if what the state did, instead of requiring a drug test within 30 days of filing your nominating petition, is require every candidate for the state office uh, to file an affidavit certifying that the candidate is not now and has not in the past uh, used or ingested illegal narcotic drugs. I would object to that, Your Honor, because that would... There's no search. There is no search, but I... It certainly wouldn't. You wouldn't be here on the basis that you are here today. That would be true. And a state has wide latitude, does it not, to... Uh, define qualifications for state office? Yes, so long as those, so long as that is, they do not violate people's uh, constitutional protection. And what constitutional protection would be violated by requiring such an affidavit? That to be a candidate for state office, you, you certify that you're not a drug abuser. Or never have been in your hypothetical, uh, Your Honor. You ask if I would object, and I would object not on the Constitution. I'm asking on what constitutional basis. I'm sorry, Your Honor, I failed to know of a constitutional basis that that might fit within that hypothetical. You just wouldn't like it. Yes, Your Honor. I think that it might have some implication for free, uh, free speech implications under the First Amendment, Your Honor. But well, if you had to take an oath that you have um, never been disloyal to the government of the United States of the state or you've never been a member of, say, the Socialist Party, then you might have an objection under a different amendment than the one you're claiming. But you are claiming the Fourth Amendment, and you are doing it in relation to uh, a bodily intrusion. The Fourth Amendment puts on the same line as the security of one's person, the security of one's papers, would you then question the requirement that if you run for office, you must do a complete financial disclosure, which will involve disclosing papers? I think that there, the court has drawn distinctions in the past between bodily searches and financial disclosure. I 
did not object, in this case, to financial disclosure. But the Fourth Amendment does say persons, houses, papers. So why would you say that it's all right to demand papers but not have anything to do with the person? Because I think there is a strong, compelling privacy interest in the person that goes far beyond the compelling, uh, any compelling interest. Where do you get that from in the Constitution? Justice Ginsburg, I do not know. And is, is, is the personal interest in, in not having to, 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 to strip and to have needles inserted, or is it the personal interest in not disclosing the results? Because if it's the latter, uh, then your, your, your case is perhaps more difficult. I think it's the former, Your Honor. It's the, it's the actual giving up of bodily fluids, the insertion of insulin. So, so you think most people would think that that's more of an invasion of privacy, just going to the doctor once a year, than having to disclose all of your financial records, all of your holding, all of your poverty, or all of your wealth, as the case may be? There is a big distinction in this case, Your Honor, and that is that if I disclose my wealth, I cannot be kept off the ballot. Mr. Chamber, every, every invasion of privacy is not a search, is it? Are you willing to equate every invasion of privacy with a search? I mean, would you consider it a search if instead of having someone examine you physically to decide whether you have cocaine in your body, you are required to disclose whether you have cocaine in your body? I mean, that may be an invasion of privacy, but is it, is it a search? Yes, sir, I deem it a search. You think it's a search? Yes, sir. So when I ask you, uh, you know, are, are, you a, are, are you a drug addict? I'm searching you. My words have no meaning if we're going to talk like that. Well, you why, just they, told me it wasn't. So which answer are you giving? You, you answered to me that, no, it wouldn't be a Fourth Amendment search, but I'd object. And now you tell Justice Scalia, yes, it's a search. Now, which answer do you want to abide by here? I'm sorry, Justice O'Connor. I'm not exactly sure the the contradiction that I've voiced here. Mr. Chandler, going back to Justice Ginsburg's question, um, assuming that you had actually to disclose papers, produce papers, as distinct simply from producing information, so that they really were, uh, in in the same sense that we're talking with here, there, there really were a search involved. I take it that your answer would, I take it that your answer to the question would not necessarily be the same as your position here, because the governmental interests involved are different. You might or might not think the government had a sufficient interest in requiring that kind of production from, from its, its political candidates, but at least the government's uh, justification, what we would look to to decide whether it was reasonable or not would I take it, in your view, be different from the, the weight of the government's justification in this case? Is, is that a fair way to characterize yes, your right. position? I think that would be a fair yeah. way to characterize And your, your real argument before us, I take it, doesn't go to the scope of, of what is or is not a search, uh, but the scope of what is permissible on the grounds that the government does have a justification which is sufficiently weighty to, to make that search a reasonable one. Is, is that it? Well, I certainly felt like it was a, that a financial search or a financial disclosure was a more reasonable government requirement than a, than a uh, drug test. All right. Test. And what is your reason for saying that this particular search is not a reasonable one? What's the, what's the nub of your attack on the government's justification? First, there is no real evidence of a real problem. There is, this, the... The searches which have been allowed by this court have always been narrowly uh, limited to certain areas, the front line in the war on drugs, drug interdiction, the use of firearms, the, uh, the train accidents, things where real problem or real potentiality has been shown and not mere hypotheticals. And so the, nu- the, the essence of this case is that this is just yet another attempted expansion of governmental power over people for a merely symbolic purpose, which is uh, put on the state of Georgia. It's not a test that's designed to keep drug abusers out of office. It's a blanket search. 
carried out for symbolic purposes to, uh, in my opinion, to show that the G General Assembly of Georgia is against drugs. Mr. Chandler, at the outset of your argument, you mentioned that there was a, the statute originally applied to all state employees and that that was held invalid. Was that by Georgia courts or federal court? Federal court, but that was a companion statute, not this statute. I understand, but, but who held it unconstitutional? The district court in Atlanta. District, uh, state district court or federal district? Federal district court, Your Honor. Was that case appealed? I don't know, Your Honor. Yeah. Who, uh, how, when was that? Is it? That was in 1990. 1990. Yes, sir. This, a very similar case was brought in the district court of this uh, district. Uh, Harmon versus Thornburgh was also decided in a district court level in 1990 where the Justice Department wished to test have blanket tests of all Justice Department attorneys. And that was held by the court at that time, the district court, to be not within the parameters announced by this court in Skinner and Von Raab. So sure I was sought in that case by the government and was denied. I consider this case to be almost exactly in line with that particular case. Well, the statute here, Mr. Chandler, does single out certain high-ranking state offices. And I think, I would think you're in a position, you ran for what, uh, lieutenant governor? Yes, sir. Uh, you're, you're in a position to challenge the requirement for lieutenant governor. I don't know that you're in a position to challenge requirements for other offices which you didn't seek. And certainly, don't you think there is an argument on behalf of the state that uh, the people have a right to have a, a, a lieutenant governor who, who is free of drug use? First, Your Honor, the, my co-plaintiff, Sharon Harris, ran for commissioner of agriculture. Secondly, there was never any showing that drug abuse or drug use in high offices or any other offices in Georgia has been any kind of a problem. Well, Georgia, you, then you feel can't adopt a prophylactic rule that says we, we want to make sure it doesn't become a problem? No, sir, I do not think they can. I, I think that a potential problem, a, a, a hypothetical potential problem, is not a real problem and is therefore a symbolic problem. What if, what if the Georgia statute, instead of reading the way it does, had said everybody has to take this drug test, but anybody can get on the ballot. All you have to do is, is announce the results of your drug test. Your Honor, that might be more permissible, in my opinion, because then it would at least leave it to the voters to decide whether they want to choose a person who submits to a test, who passes a test, or who refuses a test. I and thought I, you were complaining about the search. The yes, search would be exactly the same in that situation. Yes, sir, Your Honor. I, I, so how would it be any better? I mean, if your real objection is the search, your answer should be, you know, no, it's just as bad. Capable of answering well, himself. But, but he's not capable, perhaps, of, of perceiving whether what he's objecting to is the search, Chief Justice. Uh, if, maybe you're not objecting to the search, then. Is, is, you have some other problem than the search? I certainly object to the search as a prerequisite to being to ballot placement, Justice Well, Lewis. isn't there a search in this other case? But you don't object to that. In, in which other case? In the case the Chief Justice put to you, where you had to undergo the same search, but you could run whether it came out positive or negative. Well, I'm just saying that, there's, that that would not... I think it's for the people of Georgia to decide whether or not you can be on the ballot. Your Honor. I, I, I'm sorry. I just don't understand, given that your objection is to the search, yes, why you would not, if it is to the search, yes, maybe it's not. I don't understand why you would not find the Chief Justice's uh, hypothetical just as bad as the one that you confront. You can't run unless you get searched. Well, obviously, Your Honor, I have objected to the search. Or if, take another example. No testing before, but the moment you are elected to office, you must have a test, and you must repeat it annually. Would you object to that? Then the voters make their choice uh, without any requirement of a... I would object to that because, uh, Justice Ginsburg, the, there is no showing that there is a problem. A but then how does that differ from in between the time that you're on the ballot and the time that you're elected? What, what is the difference in my situation in the question that I pose and the one that Justice Scalia posed? I believe this court has held, at least since the Carroll case in 1925, that blanket searches are intolerable and that that would just be a blanket search. And would that be the same if every employee was required to get a physical examination once a year? Yes, sir, I believe it would be. 
it would be a blanket search required by government. And I think a blanket search of people to determine uh, whether or not they're using drugs or whether or not they have a terminal illness or, or whether or not they have a genetic defect or a blood-borne disease, we have to look and, 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 and that's and that's because you object to the intrusion of going in the doctor's office, not the disclosure of the result. Insofar as that intrusion is forced upon me by the state, yes, Your Honor. Mr. Chandler, I guess the test under the Fourth Amendment is whether the search is reasonable. Now, does it enter into the balance of whether it's reasonable at all? If it were shown that the virtually universal experience of private employers is to require an annual physical of employees or to require a periodic drug testing, does that affect the balance when we look at a state-ordered search or not? Does it affect what's reasonable, the general practice in the private community? I do not think so. Justice O'Connor, because there's a difference between the contractual relationship between employee and an employer and the political relationship between the, the uh, government and candidates and people who wish to be a part of that government. That would be my answer to that question, Your Honor, but it may not address the point that you're concerned with. You have no problem with the law saying that, or maybe you do, that uh, if a high official, say the governor, uses drugs, he is immediately disqualified from office. Your Honor, Illegal drugs. For one thing, that would... Would, would you have a problem with that? I would even have a problem with that, Your Why? Honor. For one thing, that presupposes that the, just, that the person that's in the high office has broken the laws of the state of Georgia. The person could have, for example, been in a jurisdiction or another country where such drug use was not even illegal. Therefore, he would not have broken the laws under the state of Georgia. It is a shifting majority decides what is legal and illegal. We see tobacco, for example, approaching illegality in this country or portions thereof. The, that introduces the novel idea that a citizen of a state is subject to the jurisdiction of that state no matter where in the world he or she might go. And that is an element of expansion. Do you, you think drug use is irrelevant to uh, the uh, abilities and the qualifications of the public uh, officeholder? Your Honor, I would think that that would be a matter of a question of how long ago was it, the frequency of use. This was during, during, the, during his term of office. During his term of office, Your Honor, uh, Again, it might be a question of frequency. It might be a question of which drugs are being talked about. It might be, there might be... If they're, if they're illegal drugs, uh, if, would you distinguish between illegal drugs? Your Honor, we would like always for the, our elected officials to be people who obey the law. However, when the Founding Fathers set forth the Fourth Amendment prohibitions against illegal searches, I think they realized that people would be doing things that were illegal, and the answer that they sought, the answer that they would not allow, would be blanket, suspicionless searches. Mr. Chandler, I think the issue that's been raised is, at least so far, not an issue of search as such, uh, but an issue of substantive qualification. Do you think there is anything unconstitutional about a state law provision to the effect that an office holder who commits a crime, let's make it easy, a crime in the state, under state law, forfeits his office. Is that unconstitutional? I do not think that would be unconstitutional. Okay. One of the issues here is are there adequate protections that the people and the governments have to answer these questions? I think there are already adequate protections in normal law enforcement, in the electoral process itself, when people can be weeded out. Nothing, nothing prevents a, an opponent of a politician uh, in an election process to hold out his piece of paper saying he's been tested and then challenge his opponent to be tested. Nothing would prevent that sort of, of buffoonery. And there's also the, prote the con adequate protection of a free press and public scrutiny. People live their whole lives, and they should be judged perhaps by the things that they do and the, and the things that they say 
and not by the products of their bodies. Uh, I would like to reserve the remainder of my time for rebuttal. Very well, Mr. Chandler. Uh, Ms. Gilday, we'll hear from you. Mr. Chief Justice, and may it please the Court. This Court has established in Skinner, Von Raab, and Acton the test which uh, permits drug testing in various contexts. The State of Georgia is not here today to challenge that test in any way or to ask for any extensions of that test. What we are asking the Court to do is to take the balancing of that test and apply it in a Tenth Amendment context, in the elections context. Does Georgia think this case is moot? Georgia thinks that the injunctive relief that Mr. Chandler and the uh, co-petitioners sought with respect to the 1994 election is certainly moot. The complaint also included a demand for, and the district court also recognized, that the complaint also included demand for declaratory judgment as to the merits, the constitutional merit of that statute. So to that extent, no, we do not think the case is moot. Wait. That the petitioners would uh, seek office in the future and in the absence of a class action? Justice O'Connor, we would admit that the uh, question, that question is close. We read closely this Court's opinion in Storer, Norman, Meyer versus Grant, and De- Democratic Party versus Wisconsin, all of which were elections cases. There were various factual contexts in those cases, and in many, or in some at least, the facts were similar where the election was over and there was no statement that the particular candidates intended to run for office in the future. Nonetheless, this Court held that because it was an elections context and the issues were likely to uh, come before the Court again, that I'm not sure which way to read the Court, either it uh, was not moot, um, and so we will hear it, or it is moot, but even though it is moot, we are going to consider it because it is an elections context. I hope we didn't say that. (laughs) I mean, if it is moot, how would we have Article III jurisdiction at all? That's jurisdiction. How could we we say, even if it's moot, we have jurisdiction? If it is not, if it is moot, the court does not have jurisdiction. It is George said that's what we had said. To be truthful, my reading of those cases makes it unclear as to what the court was saying in each particular case. You think it's a pleading question, Ms. Gilday, that whether a case is moot or not depends on what has been pleaded as, as opposed to what exists? Suppose he pleaded that he would run again, but you could demonstrate that he has no intention of running again. Wouldn't the case be moot? Your question asked whether it was a pleading um, uh, I mean, it seems to me it's moot if he has no intention of running again. If he intends to run again and you accept that he — do you deny that he intends to run again? No, we do not. It seems to me the case is not moot. And there is such a case where the person said was not going to run again, and this court did hold it moot. I forgot the name of it. But there are other temporal things like residency to qualify to vote or pregnancy that inevitably are going to be over for that particular individual. That is correct. But in the elections context, whether this particular candidate decides to run again, certainly there will be other candidates who may make this. But he didn't, he didn't ask for a class action. He didn't and he has represented in court today that he does intend to run again. That's correct, Your Honor. So if, if it's a pleading defect, it's a curable one. Correct. And that was going to be my response to Justice Scalia's question. If it is a pleading defect, the fact that, the, that Georgia comes in and proves that he's not going to run again, then no, it's no longer pleading, then it's evidentiary. So. so how does this work? I mean, if a case is moot and then the parties come to this court and they tell us something that a fact, make a factual statement that would mean it wasn't moot, are we, how, are we just supposed to say, all right, now we treat the amendment as the, the complaint as if it were amended? I mean, how, how, how does this work? I mean, there might be a lot of moot cases that people could file statements and say, well, we, we would like here to say a few things we didn't say in the district court, which will make them not moot. Or are we now supposed to treat all these cases as if they weren't? I mean, how does it work? It works, Your Honor, in the fact that uh, Mr. Chandler and the other petitioners pled in their complaint, or they requested in their complaint, for declaratory relief as well as relief. Uh, yeah, but I don't, I don't see why that matters if it isn't a class action and, and, if, and if there is no claim that he is going to run again. I mean, a lot of people would like declaratory relief on a lot of theoretical questions that they have, very interesting questions of law. But uh, 
this court How does this all work? I, I, I don't think it's just enough to come in and say, I would like some declaratory relief here in the absence of a showing that you have some plaintiff to whom it makes a difference. This court has responded to that very argument in the series of cases that I just cited, which are in the elections context. They have not required, to my reading of those cases, any actual allegation or proof that the particular candidate who is the plaintiff in that particular case. But he's, he's, isn't it a class action on behalf of other people who are clearly going to run? I do not believe that all of those were, were class actions. I may be wrong in that, but I do not believe Mr. Gilday, as, as I understand it, when this complaint was filed, he didn't have to assert that he intended to run again because the election had not yet occurred. There was clearly no mootness when the complaint was filed. Isn't that, that correct? That is absolutely correct. So the only issue is whether he had some obligation after the election to amend the complaint. Now, is there some obligation? Did the state, after the election, move to dismiss on the basis of mootness? Because we believe that the complaint... Did, did the state do that? No, it did not. So why would he amend his complaint? Did the court ask him to amend, uh, to come forward to show that what was originally clearly not moot is now moot? Did the court make any such request? The district court needed... I can't imagine why he would have amended his complaint, no, no one having raised this issue. And Justice Scalia will correct me on this if I am misciting 1653, but it does say that defective allegations of jurisdiction may be amended in a trial or appellate court. So it's just a Thank you for the law, Justice Ginsburg. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Gilday, uh, may I ask you whether there is any place in the record in this case where we might find uh, evidence of some particular or special need in Georgia for a suspicionless general search program for candidates for office in Georgia. Is there any place where in this record we might find that, oh, there have been a number of uh, office holders, uh, state office holders in Georgia who've turned out to have drug problems? There is no such uh, record evidence in this case, Your Honor. And was any offered by the state and rejected? No, Your Honor. The reason there was not, and I'm not sure at what stage you're talking about, at the time the legislature passed this statute, Georgia law has consistently held from um, the beginning that um, in Georgia, the the statute itself evidences the legislative history. There is no um, recording of any committee hearings, of any floor debate, anything like that. Um, Is there any indication anywhere in this record that Georgia has a particular problem here with uh, state office holders being drug abusers? No, there is no such evidence, Your Honor, and there is no, um, to be frank, there is no such problem as we sit here today. Has this court, in dealing with um, suspicionless searches, uh, look to what special needs there might be that would uh, be an indication that uh, a suspicionless, a blanket suspicionless search would be appropriate? Isn't that what we've looked to? Is there a special need for the government? I think the question as to whether there is a special Have we looked to that or not? Von Rob or other cases on which you rely, has this court looked at a special need by the government for Absolutely. a suspicionless search program. Absolutely, the court okay. has looked for so special So what need. is the need Georgia asserts here that is special? The special need that Georgia asserts is that in Georgia, the elected officials that are included in this statute are by constitution trustees and servants of the public. They are by that constitutional provision held to a much higher standard than is the ordinary citizen. They are, in fact, fiduciaries to the public. Georgia require, uh, instead of a, a physical search, uh, an affidavit of a proposed candidate that that candidate is not now and has not been in the past a drug abuser or a user of illegal drugs. That requirement would raise issues involving the Fifth Amendment. Obviously, the, the opposite side of that is a uh, compelled statement as to whether or not I use drugs. Um, secondly, this statute does not ask the candidate to say that I use illegal drugs. All it does is say the negative of that. 
that on this specific And you think the state could not ask a candidate to make some affidavit or certification regarding illegal drug use? I believe it could not. Even if the uh, state offers uh, criminal immunity for making that That would then um, raise questions as to federal law. Would that state immunity affect any federal uh, drug enforcement? What, what is your reason for saying that the state could not require an affidavit that uh, you had not used illegal drugs as a candidate? I think the um, question would, one, put in, it, it would be more intrusive and be more violative of the First Amendment rights of the individual to say, I have or I have not in my past used um, illegal drugs. Well, what First Amendment right is violated there? The... Um, compelled, uh, the state is compelling him to make a statement what, which he may or may not want to make. Well, what if the state were to require a candidate to, to file an affidavit saying that he had complied with the financial disclosure laws of the state? I think and, the state does require that. And would that, too, be a violation of the First, the First Amendment? It would not. Why is one different from the other? I think the difference is this court has upheld the validity of the financial disclosure laws in um, several cases. Um, but we never upheld the validity of drug laws? You've upheld the validity of drug laws. You have not upheld the validity of a affidavit. You have not addressed the issues, to my knowledge, of an affidavit saying uh, I have or have not used drugs. But why isn't the First Amendment issue, if there is one, the same in each case? In each case, perhaps a candidate is unwilling to make that statement, and yet, nonetheless, the uh, state requires it of him before he goes on the ballot. The issue in the First Amendment is how intrusive is that of the First Amendment right? It so it's, it's more intrusive to find out that a person has violated the drug laws and they violated the financial disclosure laws? The Georgia statute does not require the citizen to state that he has violated the drug law. No, but I, I, this, this is a hypothetical. As to an affidavit saying, I have not uh, violated the drug laws. I still think that is more intrusive because it is covering a larger period of time than is a drug test on one specific day that re, uh, discloses only the presence of uh, five specific drugs. May I ask in that connection whether it would be constitutional or not to require an affidavit? At least it would not be a search, whereas I think you would agree that this test does involve a search. This court now, has established that it is a search. So. Now, similarly, we go into the financial disclosure area. A, an affidavit describing one's finances would not be a search. But do you think, under the reasoning you're advancing in this case, that Georgia could constitutionally require every candidate for public office to say not only what his finances are, but say you may examine all of my private papers in order to be sure I haven't committed a violation of law in the past and you get a full picture of my finances. So instead of a financial disclosure statement, we just say you may search my all of my private papers to try and find out if I've been guilty of any wrongdoing. Would that be permissible? That would not be permissible. Why not? Because it would, it would probably weed out the unqualified candidates. The, the test comes down again to balancing how intrusive is the nature of that infringement on First Amendment rights versus how intrusive is it in the Fourth Amendment context. You'd rather have your papers searched than your body searched? I, I don't. I, I'm not sure. I'm not that's sure that that's uh, the, as far as intrusiveness is concerned. I'm not sure it's a question of which I would rather. This court has held in the financial disclosure area that there are limits on what those statutes can require. They have not gotten so far, this court and other courts have not gone so far to require uh, a full production of income tax records, which would reveal a uh, variety of information, um, you know, how many times I've gone to the doctor, how many businesses I own, or what all the other financial transactions I might have had. Um, question is, I suppose there are federal laws that say income tax returns uh, are not open to examination by third parties. That's the point I'm making, that to compel... But there's no federal law, is there, uh, saying that a state may not require a proposed candidate to make certain certifications or uh, affidavits before being a candidate? There's no federal law about that, is there? There's no restricting uh, the qualifications that a state may set for its um, elected officials. 
the same constraints that apply in this case, and that is the First Amendment. How, in the elections context, the, the uh, you think the First Amendment is violated by seeking a, by a state requiring an affidavit of a potential candidate disclosing all criminal offenses of which the candidate has been convicted in the past. Perhaps we should look at the Tenth Amendment. The Tenth Amendment says that a candidate uh, restriction or a ballot restriction is constitutionally valid if it is reasonable and non-arbitrary intrusive uh, intrusive restriction upon the uh, individual's fundamental rights. Well, I, I wouldn't have thought you could derive all of that from the Tenth Amendment. But it doesn't say anything about the ballot restrictions that I know of. This court has used the Tenth Amendment to authorize the states to control their own elections, to regulate their own elections, of course, within the constitution. So you take the position that a state cannot ask, make it a requirement for a candidate for state office to file an affidavit disclosing criminal offenses of which that proposed candidate has been convicted. No, I do not take that position because criminal... Well, you, you just did in response to my question. So what is your answer? Can a state do that? My answer is... Yes or no? Yes, if it is otherwise constitutional. Um, your question... Well, what that, other constitutional issues does that raise? These are matters of public record. Is it some constitutional violation to require an affidavit on some matter of public record? No, I proposed candidate. No, and that was going to be my answer. No, criminal convictions are matters of public record in most states, and some states they are not. Um, and so, no, that would not be a restriction that it, uh, impinges the Constitution in any way. However, the financial disclosure statements, because of the privacy interest that that intrudes, yes, does uh, touch upon constitutional issues. And at that point, this court has called, has made limits on what information can be revealed. It's not an across the board. Open all your papers up to the. Can you? Have you finished your answer, Justice? Can you? Can I get you back to the Fourth Amendment? I'm, that's the part of this case I'm most interested in because it does raise the Fourth Amendment issue. And do you agree that if the state required as a condition for running for office Office, that the candidate must allow a representative of the state to make, or say a certified public accountant of his own choosing, to make a thorough examination of all his financial papers, including his income tax returns. I don't think there's any federal statute that says he can't make his income tax returns available if he wants to. Uh, that that would violate the Fourth Amendment? Do you think it would or would not? I'm sorry, your hypothetical. My, my hypothetical is the state requires not just a financial disclosure affidavit but an opening up of the candidate's record for examination by a representative of the election commission or whatever it is to find out if this man may have committed some crimes or done a lot of bad things that the electorate would like to know about, such as possibly buying and selling drugs from time to time, which might be revealed by his financial records. In order to accomplish that goal, could they require uh, that sort of a general requirement of candidates? Reveal your financial papers. We don't want to trust your word uh, that you did or did not do it. I think it, it comes back to the same balancing test, and that is how invasive are those – is that restriction or is that requirement? They're, they're invasive in that you reveal everything that's in writing in your, in your private files about your, your correspondence with people and your financial transactions. I think that requirement would, reveal, would require the candidate to disclose much more information than would be permitted under the Fourth Amendment. You think it would violate the, that statute would violate the Fourth Amendment? I do. And your reason for saying this is different is that the, that the, the, the search is less intrusive. Exactly. Just as this court is held in Skinner von Rabenacten. Because it is a body search as opposed to a paper search? I don't think the distinction is body versus paper. I think the distinction is what information is disclosed. Well, what, a, what about a case that, let's take a building search. I suppose the state has just as much interest in, in assuring itself that its candidates and its officers uh, are not drug possessors and drug dealers uh, as, as it has in, in assuring them that they are at least not current drug users. Uh, would, would it violate the Fourth Amendment to require a, a candidate to, to open um, his house uh, to a search by some private investigatory agency, which would then certify after the search that no drugs were found there. Would that violate the Fourth Amendment? I believe it certainly would violate the Fourth Amendment. And, and why, why is opening the house less intrusive than opening the body? 
The difference is in the information that is disclosed. Well, the information in the one case says there, there, there are no drug residues in the body, and the information in the other case is uh, there are no drugs in the house. What's the, why is there a significant distinction between those two disclosures? There's two distinctions. In the, in the Georgia statute, yes, we require the candidate to submit the, the uh, urine sample. The information comes back only to him. That is, whether or not there are, are the... Um, yeah, and he then has to pass it on, and, and I guess I was assuming, maybe I didn't state it carefully enough, but I was assuming that in, in my example, uh, he would have to pass on the certification from the private investigatory agency. In each case, uh, the candidate could withhold the certification and, and be disqualified. Uh, assuming that, would, is, is there any distinction in principle uh, or practice between the, the degree of intrusion? The private investigatory agency has learned a substantial amount of information. Well, so does the so does the laboratory or the or the tester in in the case of the bodily search. The tester learns only the presence of those five drugs. Any other individual that walks into a candidate's home or to my home learns everything about me, and I think that's the distinction: the amount of information that is disclosed by the required test, or the amount of what is searched. Also, isn't that relevant? I mean, wouldn't your answer be different if the test in question, even though it only came up with those five drugs, is a test that required a full body search, body cavity search, and everything else? That's absolutely Your correct. point here is this is just just a urinalysis. That's all that's involved. How, how does this test work, actually? What I, I, is a, I don't see how this, I don't know. I'm not totally familiar with how the statute works. It sounds as if it tells a candidate, well, some 30-day period of your choosing, go in and get a drug test. Is that what it does? Not within some 30 days of your choosing, 30 days within the qualifying deadlines for the particular office that you were running Is it the for. deadline, uh, or is it uh, uh, when he files? I mean, it's usually, let's say the deadline September 30. Suppose he files the preceding June 30. No, this statute says... It has to be, in other words, the deadline September 30, it has to be in the month of September. Right. The diff particular offices that are involved in the statute have particular times for qualifying. So you have to be 30 days previous to that. Right. And that Find one day where you go in and you're drug-free. All right. So, so how's that supposed to prove anything? I mean, I guess the greatest druggie in the world could go in and uh, find a day when he was drug-free. As this court held in Bad Rab, perhaps the greatest druggie in the world could not. Is that right? That's what I don't know. I mean, how, what, what are the facts? That is, if a person does take drugs, is it impossible to find a, uh, a day in the 30-day period when he's free of drugs and would pass the test? That I mean, suppose he, he stays off drugs for a month preceding or two months preceding the test. If that particular individual can do that, yes, you're right. When he goes in for his drug test, his drug test is going to become positive. How, how long in advance of the test do you have to stay off drugs? Uh, if a, a moderate drug user before the moderate drug user is drug free on the day of the test. Is three weeks good enough? Is four weeks good enough? The um, cases before this court have cited expert testimony giving a range, I believe, from 22 days until a month before. All right. So, so I mean, what is the statute doing? It's doing I mean, is it, is it simply, what, what is the theory behind the statute other than making a political statement? Is it, is it that there are some people who want to run for office who uh, find it impossible to refrain from drugs for uh, 22 days uh, prior to their voluntarily going in and taking the test? I mean, what is the theory of this statute? I think that is one purpose to... Is that an important purpose, a, a purpose that we find those people in society who are not able to stay off drugs for 22 days uh, uh, and, and uh, therefore... Is that, is that the basic idea? That is not the primary reason, no. It is a reason that this court in Von Rab found to be significant. In our case, the primary purpose we would offer this court for this statute is that the information that a negative drug test um, gives to the public about the individual candidate is significant. Uh, has this court ever gone into the... I mean, I thought in Vernonia, for example, they're like random drug testing. Random drug testing, of course, catches people. This is this, have there been cases which are not random drug testing? Von Rab involved pre-employment or pre-promotion um, testing, one-time basis, of individuals who sought uh, positions in the, in the various categories. It was not random testing. Ms. Gilded, do I understand you correctly that your major reason, George's major reason, is symbolic to the extent, I think you said, 
They wanted the public, uh, they wanted the people who were in public office to have what it takes to exercise their best judgment. Is that? That is our purpose. It is not our position that that is a um, solely symbolic purpose. It may have symbolic implications, but because a statute is symbolic, if it's otherwise constitutional, does not render it constitutional. But this is my question, then. If it comes down to this is not like the random uh, test that's designed to catch people, but is in part symbolic, and the state is making a judgment, and then we have a constitution with a Fourth Amendment in it, if we're choosing between the public perception, the lesson that we want to teach the people, doesn't the constitutional amendment come first, come before the notion that we want people to show that they can exercise their best judgment by being, being willing to submit to drug testing? My way of answering that question is what I started saying in the beginning. The Fourth Amendment requires the balancing test that this court used in Skinner, Bowden, Rabbit, Acton to determine whether or not a particular drug... But test my question to you is, then doesn't the Fourth Amendment always win on that balance unless you have a good reason, a, a reason beyond uh, we want to show that these people take tests? One reason is that you would catch people, as was the case in the train engineer. Uh, but here that's not the purpose. The Fourth Amendment always wins out if, in that balancing test, the government interests are not sufficient to outweigh the privacy interests. It is our position that when you do that test in an elections context in which the people have a right to know anything about a candidate which touches on their qualifications for office. Then go for once they're in office and they're going to be in and maybe run for election. So do this periodically? Do people have any less, is their interest any less if we're doing this balancing? No, the um, balancing is no less in that context. The distinction or the, the reason for not requiring it then um, primarily are procedural. Once oh, but you could, as a matter of constitutional law, Georgia could say annually uh, or even randomly, everyone in office in the state has to have a drug test. Everyone in the category of offices that are included in the statute, yes, I believe Georgia could have a... Uh, if you rely on the public's right to know everything about the candidate, as I think you described it, it seemed to me that that would justify a totally unrestricted uh, search of the House and all private papers. I, I said that, and, I, and that is a quote from one of this Court's cases. However, obviously, the Constitution has to define everything. We and the Constitution looks a little more closely at totally suspicionless searches, doesn't it? It does. I, I take it, or I took it, that part of your argument for the state interest uh, that, that sort of overcomes the, the private interest here uh, is based on the Tenth Amendment. And I'm not sure that I understand that argument. Uh, I mean, I, I, I take it you do not argue that the Tenth Amendment, in effect, gives the states uh, some kind of right uh, or some dispensation from the Fourth Amendment. So what is the Tenth Amendment argument? The Tenth Amendment argument is, in this balancing test that's required in the Fourth Amendment, that in the usual context, the scales start out even for both sides. What the Tenth Amendment does is it tips those scales from the outset in the, on the side of the government. Because, because the Tenth Amendment and the cases this Court has held in, in elections context say, we are going to give great deference to the state's own characterizations of its interests in the elections and, in particular, in the qualifications of its uh, elected officials. Well, there's, there's, there's no question of, of, the, of there being an assertable Tenth Amendment interest there, but there's no question about there being an assertable Tenth Amendment interest to prosecute homicide, but that doesn't affect the, the balancing that goes on in, in determining the, or that does not, you know, it does not affect uh, the, the Fourth Amendment analysis. I'm not sure I understand. Well, I suppose if, if someone challenged the right of the state to prosecute murder, we would say, well, that 
certainly is not one of those uh, powers that was taken away from the state when the national constitution was ratified. That's absolutely I don't see how that would affect the, uh, the, the Fourth Amendment uh, uh, analysis when, when somebody objected to an unreasonable search and seizure that had resulted in evidence that the state wanted to introduce in a homicide case. The distinction being that the Tenth Amendment, and in particular the elections context, has repeatedly been given by this court special consideration. Um, in Gregory. Well, we've, we've said that, that uh, a, a great deal of discretion over elections is within the state's power, but that's as far as we've gone, isn't it? Thank you, Ms. Gilday. Thank Mr. You, Chandler, you have five minutes remaining. An interesting aspect of the Tenth Amendment question to me is that, that the state's that which was not granted to the federal government specifically was the rights not granted to the federal government was reserved to the states or the people respectively. And when the states appear to uh, jealously protect their rights, they are not so jealous in protecting the rights that the people reserved unto themselves. And one of those rights is that a citizen shall be free from unreasonable searches and seizures. Mr. Chandler, do you think this case would be stronger for the state if it was random drug testing? Does, does that thought comfort you if they amended this statute to make it random? It would not comfort me, Your Honor. Uh, and I'm not this sure. Is, this is stronger, isn't it? Because it says they, what she said was that the, uh, this is uh, the state's interest only in making certain that the really serious drug users who can't stay off drugs for... 30 days, of which you'd have to be quite a heavy user, that they want to identify those people. So she said that's a very important interest, identifying these very, very heavy drug users. And against that, it's a fairly limited intrusion. I think that was her point. And so what would your reply be to that? The state might be in a better position if they had some sort of random search system for people who had been elected to office. However, I think even such a search would violate the principles that have been enunciated by this court in Skinner, Von Rabb, and uh, the Vernonia School District case, because there has to be some nexus between the tests, and there has to be some compelling sh state interest, and there has to be a showing of not potential harm, but an actual existing harm. I don't know, for example, that they've ever shown that commissioners of agriculture in Georgia had a heavy drug problem, or well, for that matter, lieutenant governors or governors. What if they show that there was a, a commissioner of agriculture in Alabama and a lieutenant governor in Alabama who turned out to be drug addicts? Does Georgia have to wait for it to happen in Georgia? I'm not sure, Your Honor, but I would sort of think so. I would also just... Isn't it your real argument that you have to wait till at least till it happens in Alabama? <laughs> A lot of things happen in Alabama that don't happen in Georgia. Does, <laughs> the, uh, does, does the state have to show that, uh, uh, that, that he was a worse secretary of agriculture because of that drug habit? I would think so, Your Honor, although that, uh, uh, arguably... I mean, yeah, it's supposed to be good for poetry. I don't know what it does for... Uh, <laughs> and, and, how, and also, Your Honor, how could we argue that drug users would be any worse than the General Assembly Georgia has now. <laughs> There's an old saying down in Georgia that no man's liberty or property is safe as long as it's in session. And 21-2-140 is a perfect example of that, where for the most cavalier of reasons, just pure symbolism, they want to take away people's Fourth Amendment rights. They want to make people stand up and, and take these tests so as to somehow show that they are, by a piece of paper, that they, it's easily avoided that they can be qualified to hold high office. And One it point that you made in your brief was that uh, this, is a, this test is not very serious because it would catch at best the worst cases. But you certainly wouldn't find more satisfactory a test that was less hard to beat, a test more pervasive. So I didn't understand your point about the... Uh, lack of effect of this test. This test is even worse because it involves cheap symbolism. The other test would violate the Fourth Amendment protections announced by this court and Von Rabb and the other cases uh, as being suspicionless. Um, I would like to just say finally that this all reminds me of what Franklin warned us about, is that people who would give up some of their liberty to get some security will end up with neither liberty nor security. 
And we are rapidly approaching a time in this country when there are absolutely no technological limits to what a government can do to make sure the people are obeying its edicts. Um, there will be a possibility of hair testing to show that people can have used something that the government has declared illegal within the last six or eight months based on where in the hair. The fact that we can force obedience by those people should not necessarily mean that we should do so, especially if what that means is that we have to give up our constitutional rights to do so. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Chandler. The case is submitted. We'll hear our